things were starting to look different and weird. And it just, it, I, it sounds silly now, but it took me a little time to realize that all of this binging had put weight on me and pretty fast, really fast. And then I just really became very afraid because I thought, well, I already feel alone. I'm already too young in this environment. Nobody really likes me. And now I'm, I'm fat and I wasn't really fat, but I was, I'd put on some weight fast. And my fear about feeling like now I've lost everything made me just become very urgently feeling like I needed to lose that weight as fast as I could. And this is where a lot of dieters get into trouble. There becomes this, this intensity about, oh my gosh, I have to fix this problem right now. And I threw myself into the diets that I could find, which were little pamphlets at the grocery store. And you know, they, you can't lose in a couple days what you might have spent two months putting on through binging and this just started a whole roller coaster for me that took me kind of the gamut until as I talk about in my book I did find myself on my knees in front of the toilet and having watched my mother go through that it was not lost on me that this was something that could just take my life completely over. This is Sharon Betters from Marking Ministries, and we are in the studio to continue our Help and Hope series that focuses on the challenges of young women. Our first interview in this series was with soul surfer Bethany Hamilton, whose story of overcoming impossible odds encourages millions of young women across the world. Our goal with this series is to assure young women that they are not alone in facing the challenges of today's culture. And today, I'm so excited to introduce you to Constance Rhodes, who will share her story of struggling with eating disorders as a young woman and the help and hope she found. I first met Constance through her book, Life Inside the Thin Cage, a personal look into the private world of the chronic dieter. And I knew as I was reading that her story could offer help and hope to thousands of young women struggling with eating disorders. Constance is a really very busy young woman as the founder and CEO of Finding Balance, a nonprofit health and wellness organization dedicated to helping people eat well and live free. But there are so many other uh, things in her life. Uh, she's an author, she's a speaker, and just a very busy, busy young woman. And you can learn all that about her many accomplishments on her website at findingbalance.com. You can also learn more about Constance when you visit markinc.org where you can download this interview for free. So Constance, welcome. You have so much to offer women and men on so many fronts. And so today we're so grateful that you're willing to focus on help and hope for young adults, and in particular, young women who are struggling with eating disorders. So why don't you give a little brief introduction to yourself and where you are in your life right now? Okay, so I'm here in Nashville, just outside of Nashville, but I grew up in Michigan and moved at the age of 16 to Texas to go to Bible college. And I know we'll get into more of this in a moment, but that is where I first fell into an eating disorder. And there were a lot of reasons behind that, so we can talk through those in a moment. I was in Texas about six years, really battling this. Moved to Nashville because I thought I'd be the next biggest Christian artist. And that did not end up happening, but I did end up working in that industry at Sparrow Records. And all the while, this eating disorder was still going on underneath the surface. And in 2000, I actually left 
my job in that industry. I felt God calling me to work on this issue in my own life. And as he brought me to healing, he kind of refreshed in me a vision to help others who were battling these issues. And so at the time of this recording, about 15 years, I have been doing that through writing my book, Life Inside the Thin Cage, which came out now a long time ago in 2003 and starting an organization called Finding Balance. We're a Christian nonprofit and we help people find balance with food, weight, and wellness. And we're looking much more broadly than just clinical eating disorders because the truth is three out of four women and lots of guys have eating issues and we're trying to help provide a Christ-centered resource and sort of community. I was really intrigued by your book and also your perspective. Often when you see a title about chronic dieting and, and so on, it's immediately about a program and what foods to eat and all that kind of stuff. But that really is not the focus of finding balance. And I want to talk about that more later in our interview. But uh, so, but before we get there, I especially was touched by journal entry that you included in your book. Uh, would you mind reading that for us? Sure. And just for perspective, so this was the year 2000, and I had been battling with these issues for about 10 years at that point, but had never done the math to realize how long it had been. So this is from my journal, April 2000. This is from my book, Life Inside the Thin Cage. It says, let me tell you about my life inside the thin cage. It is a dark place with little food, little social interaction, and little freedom. Everything is off limits. Everything is based on performance. If I don't perform well or look good, then I am not good. I'm not allowed to enjoy a piece of cake or a slice of pizza, because if I do, tomorrow I will wake up fat. I don't get much social interaction because I scare off any would-be friends out of my fear of letting them get too close to me. I exist on water and a few carefully planned meals every day, and coffee, lots of coffee and Diet Coke, of course. When I walk into a room, I throw off an intimidating vibe so as to ensure that potential threats to my insecurity, that is nice people, keep their distance. Other women pick up on the vibe and they treat me coldly, something I don't really want, but if caused to happen by my behavior. Daily I complain to my long suffering husband, my butt is bigger today, isn't it? My stomach didn't look like this last month, did it? Are you sure I'm not fat? I feel so gross, how can you love me? It's a wonder he does, but he does. I'm grouchy all the time. I'm constantly aware of my cruel nature toward people that I wish I could be nicer to. Since everything is about performance and appearance, a bad hair day can truly ruin me. If my performance ever slips, I'm suddenly in the precarious position of losing my value to the world. Going anywhere or meeting anyone requires that I look my best, for people may not like me if they don't think I'm attractive and thin. I have a hard time sleeping at night, and more than anything, I am alone. That's really a powerful description. I think that many people, uh, especially young women, and probably women of all ages, can relate to. You also included a quote by Randall Jarrell, the world goes by my cage and never sees me. And I just, I mean, I have to admit that when I read that, I just felt kind of emotional about it and, and the loneliness of people who are in that cage. How did you end up in that thin cage? Well, and I, I should point out here at the top, because some of your listeners are probably thinking, well, I'm not thin. So she must be talking about 
just, you know, that that classic anorexic person. But when I titled my book, we put thin in quotations because it's not just the size, but rather that obsession with the idea of being thin and you can be any size and, and be obsessed with that sort of thing. And so for me, growing up, I did not have any weight or eating issues. My mother did, actually. That's a big part of the story. So we can get into that in a moment if you'd like. But I didn't. I kind of watched her going through her own struggles, which included anorexia and bulimia. And I didn't understand at all why she was doing that to herself. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. I thought, why would you why would you eat these huge amounts of food and throw them up? And, and I could tell that her life just seemed out of control. And she was so smart and beautiful. And I just didn't understand. And I went to college, like I said, when I was just 16. And so you can imagine that's really young to leave home, be on your own in an environment that you don't know anything about. Because of the situation with my mother, my parents had divorced. I didn't have a lot of interaction with her. And I didn't know how to interact with women in general. And now here I was on a Christian campus. There were a lot of rules placed on me because of my age. I was kind of prohibited from hanging out with guys, go figure. And I didn't know how to hang out with girls. And so it really started with loneliness. In fact, I've, I've given a talk before called Feeding Lonely because I became so lonely and kind of just awkward in that environment, socially feeling ostracized from other people. Some of that was in my head and some of it was maybe really happening, like, you know, happens to most young women. You feel kind of left out. And I just began to eat to comfort myself. I had never done that before. This was before the days of the internet. I wasn't aware of the freshman 15 concept. Um, and But I was eating amounts of food that I now know were binges. I was eating to the point of actual physical pain, trying to fill this loneliness that I felt there on campus. And what happened was just about a month or two into my college experience, I went clothes shopping one day. And as I tried on some clothes and my, my figure, I'd always, it had been like the one thing I thought I had was my figure and things were starting to look different and weird. And it just, it, I, it sounds silly now, but it took me a little time to realize that all of this binging had put weight on me and pretty fast, really fast. And then I just really became very afraid because I thought, well, I already feel alone. I'm already too young in this environment. Nobody really likes me. And now I'm, I'm fat and I wasn't really fat, but I was, I'd put on some weight fast. And my fear about feeling like now I've lost everything made me just become very urgently feeling like I needed to lose that weight as fast as I could. And this is where a lot of dieters get into trouble. There becomes this this intensity about, oh my gosh, I have to fix this problem right now. And mm -hmm. I threw myself into the diets that I could find, which were little pamphlets at the grocery store. And you know, they you, you can't lose in a couple days what you might have spent two months putting on through binging. And this just started a whole roller coaster for me that took me kind of the gamut until, as I talk about in my book, I did find myself on my knees in front of the toilet. And having watched my mother go through that, it was not lost on me that this was something that could just take my life completely over. You mentioned your mother, and I remember reading in your book that you were scared when you learned some things about your mother. How did that play into your journey? 
I've always been interested in psychology and I read her journals when I was younger. I would, she would leave me at home and go off on her binges and I would snoop around the house and find her journals. And so I actually had a window into her world because she was trying to figure out this bulimia. You know, again, this was at a time when nobody was talking about these issues and she was documenting everything and trying to figure it out so she could find the key to break free. And so as I found myself you know, this particular time on my knees in front of the toilet, trying to make myself throw up, I thought, I've seen this. And to me, it's it's like a demon. That's what I felt like. I felt like if I give in to this demon of bulimia, I might never get out of it. And so by God's grace, I actually did not engage in purging at the toilet, vomiting. There's different types of purging, but that's the most common. I did that a couple of times, but I never was good at it, and nor did I want to be. And so then I was just looking for other methods to purge. So I, I did use laxatives a couple of times. That was a miserable experience. And then more commonly, what I did was I would try and just starve myself for a while, and then I'd get hungry, and I'd binge, and then I'd try and starve to make up for it. And so I did a lot of what they call a binge-starve cycle. And as that progressed, I actually gained more and more weight because that's typically what does happen. And then, you know, then I'd go through seasons of being really, quote-unquote, good and restricting my food, and I'd lose the weight. And so it it really became quite a yo-yo. It lasted, the the yo-yo period, which was to me the most difficult period, lasted about three and a half years. And then I had this paradigm shift where, and I think it was the Lord, you know, I was standing in, in a bathroom looking in the mirror, and I decided to just really actually survey the damage that I'd been causing to my body through all of that. And the truth was by that point, I'd gained, I don't remember exactly, but 20 or 25, maybe 30 pounds over what was natural for me. And and it was really difficult for me to just look in the mirror and just calmly and soberly observe what had happened. And then I kind of shifted into, all right, instead of trying to fix this right away, I'm just not going to let it get any worse, which was a really great paradigm shift, honestly. Mm-hmm. But then as, as, I, as I was able to step back from that binging behavior and the weight came back down to normal, the trauma of those three and a half years of the roller coaster and feeling ugly and feeling fat, I think that trauma led me to just be so terrified of ever gaining weight again that I just clicked into a very long controlled eating pattern that was pretty restrictive, but not quite anorexia. And that's what I continued in for about seven more years. And during that time I got married and I was working in the music business and on the outside, everything was great. And I was really thin, but on the inside, as you just heard in that journal entry, it was a very different story. Your description of what you experience is, I relate to a lot of it, the the feeling that I'm too fat, that I need to lose weight and doing it all the wrong way and then eating too much and all those things. I think so many of us can relate to what you're saying. What is the difference between binging and anorexia? Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple different things. So eating disorder wise, clinical eating disorders are anorexia. And there's a lot of criteria for these. And if you'd like to see them, you can go to our website, findingbalance.com. And there's lots of articles and things. So I won't go through all that here for the sake of time. But but typically in anorexia, someone is going to be underweight, uh, clearly underweight, but they see themselves as overweight. And so they have a very warped self-image. 
they can actually, what they would call binge, so they can eat to the point of discomfort and they can even purge occasionally, not all the time, and still fit that anorexia box. They are underweight enough if they if it's female, if they've lost their periods and there's some other criteria. So typically in anorexia, the person is underweight, but maybe managing that weight in a variety of ways, including purging, which people don't typically think of that with anorexia. With bulimia, that is typically characterized by sessions of binging and purging. So overeating large amounts of food to the point of discomfort, feeling out of control of that eating, and then purging in some way. So you can purge through vomiting, through laxative abuse, and even through exercise. And that's a somewhat under-noticed area because we think exercise is great, and it is in balance. And so that purging, the binging and purging is happening quite frequently. And it's, you know, so it's, it's definitely a noted cycle with a pattern to it to qualify for bulimia. Then you have a newer classification called binge eating disorder. And in binge eating disorder, it's similar to bulimia, except that you don't purge. So your binge eaters are typically going to be gaining more and more weight all the time because they're not purging, but they are trapped in that I'm eating more than I want to, I can't help it, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm not purging. That's lots and lots and lots of people that fit that category. Then you have sort of this whole other nebulous thing where you can be really worried about your weight and kind of be underweight, but you haven't lost your periods and you're kind of still eating normally. And so you're not really anorexic and you're not purging. So you're not really bulimic, but you're really concerned about your weight or maybe you're obsessed with exercise or even organic food. There's that's there's one called orthorexia. That's the obsession with eating only pure, clean food. All of that sort of other nebulous chronic dieting, secret eating, emotional eating that may not fit criteria for anorexia, bulimia, or even binge eating disorder is in this whole other bucket called used to be called EDNOS, eating disorders not otherwise specified. And now I think it's called OSFED, O-S-F-E-D. I don't even remember exactly what that stands for. It hasn't quite stuck yet. But there, it's basically everyone else. And so I said a moment ago, three out of four women are fitting anorexia, bulimia, binge eating, or that larger sort of unspecified category of eating issues. And the line of balance that we're looking for is – Food is not your friend and food is not your enemy. You're able to eat when you're hungry. You stop when you're full. You know, you're getting exercise. You're doing all things in moderation. Food is not your God. Your weight is not your God. And you're able to make choices about food and weight and wellness that really love your whole self well. So not just your physical body. Some people would say, well, I love my physical body well, so I work out all the time and I only eat pure. But there are some downsides of being rigid about such things. So we want to see people love well their whole self, you know, mental, emotional, intellectual, relational, and spiritual. In your book, you were talking about uh, a period in your life where you were actually thin, but you were constantly worried about eating and making sure that you didn't get fat. I think about parents especially who they can see in their child that their child is so thin, but the child looks in the mirror and sees a fat person. And adults too. How many women that I talk to, if you bring up 
dieting or there's a dessert. They're like, oh, no, I can't eat that because, uh, you know, my weight. And I look at them and I think, but you don't need to lose weight. <laughs> you look wonderful. What do you think is influencing this kind of thought process? Well, we, we have a collective paranoia about fat. We do know there are a lot of health issues in our country. We are a country, actually, who has used food as friend and enemy quite a lot. And if you look around at an airport or a mall, you will see examples of that on the whole spectrum. We are out of balance with food in our country. And weight is the only acceptable form of discrimination left, I think. And it is also a very obvious thing to be discriminated against, unlike, say, someone with an alcohol problem, but you can't see it, or sex addiction, but you can't see that on the outside. And so there's a lot of attention paid to appearances. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't care about appearances, because I do. And I want to be mindful of maintaining the shape that God gave me. Everybody has a different set point. I think it's just that what messages are we listening to and are we going to be able to make choices that help us to be well and, you know, have bodies that can do the things that God wants us to do without that paranoia of if I gain a pound, the whole world will come crashing around me. Or on the other side of it, if I could just lose weight, then I could be who God, you know, created me to be and do what he's called me to do. There's just such an obsession on the outside. I mean, that's just the way we're wired as humans, I think, to see the outside and to focus there. And it takes a deliberate intentionality to choose to look deeper than that and to bring those things into alignment in some kind of balanced and, and holy way. How about teen girls? If you could just talk to a, a teenager sitting in front of you right now who obviously is struggling with her appearance, struggling with eating, has eating disorders, what counsel would you give to her? I think one of the things that when we are teens, we think that the troubles that we have as teens, that we will grow out of those. That, you know, when I go to college or when I go into the workforce or when I get married or when I have children, you know, there's always these ideas that this is just a phase. Being a teenager is hard, which it is super hard to be a teenager. And there's this concept that I'll, I'll grow out of the struggles I have. So I'm just going to use this coping mechanism for right now. And, but, but soon I'll leave all of this behind and I'll walk off into, you know, adulthood and everything will be better. And I won't feel like a nerd anymore or insecure or scared. And so one of the things that I love to tell teens, which sounds, sounds not pleasant, but you don't grow out of that stuff. Okay. And so the option is to learn when you're young, some good coping mechanisms for walking through the difficulties of life, or you will become a grown up who still is dragging around these fears and these anxieties. And you'll become these grown ups that you probably look at and say, I will never be that person. You can become that person. You can become an unhappy, dissatisfied, unhealthy person that you don't want to be. On the other side of that, if you will allow God to reach you now at this age, where you kind of do have a lot of life ahead of you, we never know how long we have, but you you probably, many people listening to this have you know more years left than I do, probably. There is such an opportunity to say, 
I am going to claim this life that God has given me. I have been given gifts that, that no one else has. No one's been made like me. And I refuse to let this world around me tell me that I can't be who I am because I don't want to be that older person who hates their life and never got to pursue their dreams. I'm going to choose now to deal with these issues and to learn how to cope with anxiety and loneliness and rejection and disappointment and all of those things. I'm going to learn how to do it now because there is too much life ahead of me and too much stuff that God wants me to do. So I refuse to let that be stolen from me. So God, show me now what I can be doing to be moving in positive ways out of this so this does not become a rut that I get stuck in. That is great counsel. But then the teenager will say, but I don't even know how to start doing that. What can I actually do to make sure that I'm on that pathway? Teenagers today are so resourceful for the things that they actually really care about, right? So I would say God knows for sure what you can do. Now, again, when we're talking about eating disorders, if you have an eating disorder and you're listening to this, you already have a bit of a battle. So this is not a battle that you can fight on your own. You're going to have to reach out to somebody that can help you. So for example, with eating issues, you know, you could email us at Finding Balance. For example, there's a first step. You could Google help for eating disorders or help for self-injury, which sometimes goes with eating disorders, or help for depression or anxiety, whatever it is. Go Google it. I recommend you try and find Christ-centered resources. I just think that they're going to address the spiritual side well for you, which matters. But go find the resources. You're going to have to choose to listen, to counsel, to seek good counsel, and to accept the help that those who love you want you to have, and to use your voice to communicate if that help is or isn't what you need. And, you know, this is your life, and no one knows what's going on inside of your head, but people love you and can support you if they if they can hear from you what you need they can help you find those next steps too how about uh, the parents who are raising daughters in this culture what practical steps can they take to help point their girls in the right direction when it comes to body image and food and balance well we must first look at ourselves as mothers i mean we cannot diminish the role and the influence of the comments we make in our homes around our children about our bodies, about what we're eating or shouldn't eat, or about what someone else's body looks like, or wow, did you see them eat that? They did not need to eat that. You know, all of these comments that we make to our husbands, to our friends, to our coworkers around the dinner table, all of that stuff is being absorbed by these sponges of our children. So in my house, for example, fat is a four-letter word. We actually don't use it. <laughs> we just don't use it. My kids know that it's not a word that we use. We eat, you know, a variety of foods. We don't have okay food, you know, good foods and bad foods. We do discuss beneficial things about food and how certain things aren't as beneficial, but we really try to avoid negative self-talk anything like that. And at a minimum, you've got to basically zip it when you're around your kids. If you have concerns about your own body, go share them with somebody else. Your kids don't need to hear that at all. They need to, you know, they need to also hear, I, I love 
your your little belly. I say this to my daughter all the time. Her belly actually is is soft, and she's a little she's a little bit of a squishy girl. She's by no means overweight, but I will say to her, "Oh, I love your legs. They're so strong." And I'll touch them. I'll squeeze them. So she's used to feeling her physicalness, you know, her physicality. And then we'll talk about her belly and I'll rub it. One day you can have babies in there. I can't wait. Oh, I'm so glad, you know, and I'll squeeze her cheeks. So again, we want to avoid saying negative things. And then we want to also affirm as much as possible, the positive things. And if it's a parent who has a child who is unhealthy, either on the overweight or underweight side, for that, I would recommend that you go and get counsel with somebody who works specifically with that. And I actually have a great recommendation for that. There's a website called shapedwithlove.com. She's a fantastic Christian counselor, loves working with young children and their parents. There is help out there for you parents to find that balance and to help your children find health if they are currently in a state of unhealth in that area. If your child is already struggling with physical issues, I've had parents say, I don't know what to do to help them because I don't want to make a big deal out of this because I don't want them to have an eating disorder. I don't want to plant bad ideas, but I see them going in the wrong direction. How do I help them without making the the uh, circumstances worse? Yeah. So that's such an important question. One thing that relieves pressure from me all the time is when I can remember that God knows exactly what every single person needs. And so sometimes I even in my field, and I'm a lay expert in these issues, and I'll feel sometimes like, oh, I don't know the answer for you. And then I'm comforted by the fact that God does. And that if we can be very intentional about asking God to show us who we need to talk to and what we need to see, and then we go look and listen for that, he will show up. He really will. And secondly, there are some good resources out there that I do know about. (laughs) So one, there's a great one that I, I just want to mention for anyone listening who is a parent or a loved one of somebody with a clinical eating disorder. It is called Chasing Silhouettes. It is by a wonderful friend of mine, Emily Wieranga, and it is very practical roadmap of how to navigate that and what's going on inside that person's head. So Chasing Silhouettes is a great book for that. And then on the other side of things, say it's a a child who just needs better nutrition and struggling with overweight or other things like that. Again, Shaped with Love is my favorite resource. They even have a series of children's books to help young children embrace their body as a gift from God before those problems even begin. The resources are out there and just trying to get them in front of people is so important. And we will include all this information on our website as well, all the resources that you have mentioned and of course link with Finding Balance. You have mentioned several times your relationship to the Lord. Uh, Talk to us about that a bit. What do you mean when you talk about God's presence in your life, uh, asking him for guidance and help? There's a universalism that everybody thinks that they have a relationship to God, but I think you're talking about something more personal. I was raised in a Christian home, and which has pros and cons, <laughs> but it means that from a very young age, I heard all this language about, you know, Jesus as your Savior and your personal Savior and the Holy Spirit, you know, being something that can be part of your life. And I will say that by being in church for a lot of those younger years and into my teenage years and then going to Bible college, I had experiences with God 
lots of times that maybe a lot of other people wouldn't have. The other side of that is that I also needed to come to a point of understanding what was my own belief system versus what what was I just parroting? You know, sometimes, especially Christians, will just parrot what they've heard during their upbringing, but not necessarily really believe it. And so now at the time of this recording, I'm nearly 45. So I've had lots of time to really wrestle through what do I really believe? And even going through a season of, well, I just I just don't believe in God and Jesus? Or, you know, what if it's all just a made up story? It seems kind of crazy to me. I went through that season and it was really through that season. And I even went to my pastor and said, what if you're wrong? What if you're standing up there every Sunday and this Jesus thing isn't real and all of that. And as I wrestled through that season in my early thirties, I came to a place where I understood that you can't actually understand all of faith. It is somewhat that you can't put God in a box, but I knew that I knew that, that, that God has a plan for my life, that Jesus, you know, God's son came to set free the captive. I knew that I wanted that freedom and that in my life, having a relationship with this triune God, you know, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that there was there's this this larger story than just my own. And there's this author who is far more brilliant than I am at writing my story of my life because he planned our lives. The scripture says that before we were even born, you know, our lives were, our days were written in his book. And so I believe that way. I believe that God has a plan for my life. I have submitted my life to, to Jesus and to asking uh, God to show me what, where he wants me to go and what he wants me to do each day and to building his kingdom with him instead of trying to build my own. And for me, I have found that life is not necessarily easy and, and sometimes it's even harder that way, but I am not alone in it and I draw great strength from that. How do you keep that relationship going? Well, Luckily, a little byproduct from the work I do in that I am constantly talking with people like, for example, you and your husband. We had a, a wonderful interview a few weeks ago, and regularly as part of my work, we are creating content where I have this opportunity to continually rub elbows with a lot of people who are pursuing a deeper and deeper relationship with God, and so I get to learn from that um, a couple of other disciplines I have, I have a regular weekly prayer call on Tuesday mornings with some people related to the ministry that we do here. I have another prayer call on Thursday mornings with my father. Then I just try and engage in spiritual activities. Uh, you know, we're involved in our church. And, you know, so it is a bit of intentionality, spiritual conversations. George Barna talks about the importance of spiritual conversations and just being with others and talking through spiritual matters, not to prove points, but to just continue learning and growing. So all of those things are very important to me. What about the person who is not in the place that you're in right now, that doesn't have all of those wonderful connections and opportunities, a mom balancing a bunch of kids and very busy life? but she has made a commitment to Christ and yet it just seems stalled. What practical ideas could you give to her for maybe jumpstarting that relationship, especially in light of the conversation that you and I have been having? I think, I think the key there is community. It's really big in what we do here. When I say community, what I mean is if you're feeling that way, that you, you feel kind of stuck in your faith walk or any other area of your life, 
and you want and need new, fresh life, connecting with other people is a huge part of that. Being able to be honest with someone else about how stuck you feel, about how scared you are, about the problems that you're facing. So if you're wanting to grow spiritually, I would suggest that you reach out to someone who you admire in some way or, or feel like you respect the, their way of continuing to deepen their faith. And if you don't know anyone like that, again, I don't, I hope this, I know this sounds cliche. It really isn't, but I just believe that it doesn't matter where someone's at in their own faith walk. I don't care if you're in the middle of the worst sinful experience you've ever had. I believe God hears us when we say, where are you, God? I need you. I need you to show up somehow. I just believe he hears us and it is individualized to each person. And wherever you are, you are never, never, never too far from God to just reach out and you can even tell him if you're mad at him or if you don't think he's there, but just call out and say, I need you. I'm going to open my eyes. I need you to show up. And I believe that he will. I really, really do. I've seen it happen in my own life and I've seen it happen in countless lives of those we serve at all points along these so-called, you know, Christian or spiritual continuum. I'm singing the same song because of my own life and the way that Jesus has met me right there in the darkest places when I certainly didn't deserve for him to show up. And that kind of leads me, you talked about community and it's possible that someone listening is in a place where they don't even know where to turn for community or maybe they're having an, even a, having a hard time getting out of their house. But you have a wonderful online community at FindingBalance.com and I have loved just kind of browsing around and seeing the incredible resources that you offer with interviews and stories and opportunities to go deeper in our faith. Why don't you tell us about FindingBalance.com, why you started it, and what you hope will be accomplished through it? Sure. The, the initial beginning of Finding Balance as a ministry was my feeling that I did not have an eating disorder, but I had a problem that needed addressing, and nobody was talking about that kind of problem. So I felt really alone in that area where I was. Again, not a clinical eating disorder. There were resources for that, but there was nothing for this whole other category I told you about earlier, this sort of undiagnosed category. And so when we began Finding Balance, we were the first organization to sort of address that larger, you know, not otherwise specified category of eating issues, which created a brand new community for people saying, me too, I felt so alone, or I felt like my issues weren't worth treating or whatever, you know. Over the years then, we've just grown and grown in the work that we do, a program that is the most I think special and powerful and amazing for those who want freedom specifically from eating issues is our Lasting Freedom online support program. We started this a couple of years ago. That's the program that you and Chuck were on. And that we just realized that it removes entirely several barriers. It removes the barrier of coming out of your house if you're, if you're private. It removes the barrier of comparing bodies with each other because you're in front of a screen, so you can't really see. It removes the barrier of, you know, how can I access it? Because all you need is a device of any kind, which most people, at least America, have now. And it even removes the barrier of cost because it's very moderately priced. And so 
we are able to connect in community through video, uh, video chat, sort of online support groups that discuss very specific content. So it's very well organized and people are able to interact with each other in a private networking area where they're growing and sharing their struggles and their, their praise reports together, you know. And so community is developing online. And that's that's the way the world's going anyway. You know, everybody's kind of online. And that there are, you know, there can be some downsides. So we would never say that online replaces counseling, one-on-one counseling or treatment, but community online is fantastic. And there are a lot of communities out there for a variety of needs that people may have. I just always would recommend, again, you want to go to a balanced community, a community that is there for, in my view, a higher purpose than just building up your self-esteem. That's what a lot of psychology will tell you is if you could just feel better about yourself, all your problems would go away. But that continues the focus on the self being sort of what makes your world work, which in my view is a lot of pressure on us and leads us to sort of behave in ways that aren't healthy. And instead, I advocate sort of a a more God-focused community where we understand that we all have specific responsibilities and things we can do to pursue wellness, but we do not have to be responsible for making our life work all by ourselves. There is help for that. And that comes through, through, through God and tapping into what he wants us to be doing and through community so we can be supported as we make those steps forward. I think that's a a great summary of what you're doing. And it also ties back to the beginning of our conversation when you were sharing how lonely you were when you were off to college. And that's kind of how things started going on a downward spiral, how incredibly important community is. And God created us that way. I, I, I think he actually created us uh, to be lonely, to feel lonely, so that we would understand how important the gift of community is and how so many of the challenges that we have are resolved by being connected to other people. So it's a great, it's a great outreach. And I hope that many of our listeners will check out all of the great resources that you have prepared and you're always adding more. And so it's really a wonderful, lively community too, that offers the help and hope of the gospel in a very unique way. And we appreciate that. I just, I want to reinforce something I've said several times just to make sure it sticks in. And that is that a couple things. One, that whoever is listening to this, you are not alone in your struggle. So even if right now you feel alone and nobody even knows about your struggle, whatever it is, eating issues or some other area, you actually are not alone. That there is a God who sees you and who wants you to know love and to know grace and to know freedom. So that is true for anyone listening. I don't care if you're an atheist. (laughs) There is still a God who is seeing that and you are not alone. Secondly, that God knows what you need next to walk forward toward freedom, toward that love that you long for, that connection with others. And I just want to remind you, he is there for you. You cannot do anything that will surprise him. You cannot do anything that will disappoint him to the point that he runs away. That is never, ever going to happen. He has amazing grace. Let's remember that amazing grace for all of us. And so my prayer for anyone listening is that that you would receive that grace, that you would just reach out and say, I need it. I'm going to take it. I receive it. 
please show me what to do next. And then just, again, open your eyes and your ears to how God might lead you, whether it's to go talk to a counselor, to go online to find a resource, to read a book, to talk to a friend. There are, there are so many things you can do if you really want to find the freedom. That's that, And that's a perfect way for us to wrap up our conversation. I'm Sharon Betters from Mark Inc. Ministries, and you have been listening to a conversation with Constance Rhodes, who is the author of more than one book, but in particular, Life Inside the Thin Cage, as well as the founder of Finding Balance. We are so thrilled to have had this conversation with Constance. You can learn more about Constance by visiting findingbalance.com, or you can go to our website at markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, where you can download this interview uh, free of charge. And we will also have links to some of the resources that Uh, Constance has mentioned in this conversation. We are so grateful that you have listened to this interview about finding help and hope when you're hurting, especially as a young adult or as a young woman or as the parent of a young adult. You can find more resources like this at markinc.org. They are free of charge. They're stories told by other people who have experienced difficult life challenges, especially the kind of challenges that are often experienced in isolation that are difficult for other people to know how to help. And so the stories not only will offer help and hope to the one who is hurting, but they also are a means of equipping those who love them to walk alongside them when the lights in their lives go out. So thank you so much for listening. You can find more information about Mark Inc. at markinc.org.